Before we get into our text this morning, I just wanted to spend a, a few moments um, to introduce the book of Philippians to us before we read it. We're going to spend the next few weeks of the summer uh, going through this wonderful little uh, letter that Paul wrote. And so just a couple things to be thinking about as we engage this text this morning. Uh, one of the things that is important about this letter is that it's the Apostle Paul is, is writing to this church that he had planted in the town of, of Philippi. Now, Philippi was a, a, a Roman city named after Philip, which the, Philip is forgettable, but his son is very, most very much not forgettable. His son was Alexander the Great, uh, which... You know, he formed, you know, one of the big reasons why the New Testament's written in Greek is because of Alexander Great and his conquests. Uh, one little fun fact about the town of Philippi, uh, we probably all know about the assassination, assassination of, of, of Caesar. Well, after Brutus and his crew assassinated Caesar, they ran to Philippi, and there's this great battle with 200,000 soldiers between uh, Brutus and Cassius versus uh, Mark Antony and Octavian. And this is about 90 years before um, this church was planted that happened in Philippi. So it's this very Roman city. It felt like Rome. And uh, one of the things that maybe makes Philippi most unique is that it was the first church that was planted in, in Europe, in modern-day Greece, in this area called Macedonia. You know, and, and you, one could argue that our own church lineages actually flow from this first church planted in Europe. And what's fun is you can actually read about the planting of this church at the second half of Acts 16. We're not going to read that this morning, but I just want to quickly summarize for you what happens at the end of Acts 16 when this church is planted. And, and so what happens is Paul is with uh, Timothy and, and Silas, and they're trying to discern where to go next in, this, in, in Acts 16. And the Holy Spirit keeps closing doors, and then the Holy Spirit calls them to go to Macedonia. And so they set sail for Macedonia, and they land in this little port town, and they travel up some of those famous Roman roads to Philippi. And it says they went there because it was the leading city of the district of Macedonia, which makes sense. If you want to plant a first church that's going to hopefully make an impact to plant more churches, you would go to the center much the reason why we planted this church in, in the center of, of Yakima. And as he comes into town to plant this church, he has three critical in, encounters. Uh, the first happens uh, with this woman. Her name is Lydia. She was selling claws in the, in the center, in the, in the city center. And she hears the gospel preached by Paul and her and her ho whole household come and are baptized. And Lydia becomes one of the great supporters of the ministry of Paul. And then as they're continuing to preach, this is kind of a wild story, there's this slave girl who has a fortune teller demon in her. And she keeps bugging them. And Paul, it says uh, that he grew greatly annoyed with her. And so he casts the demon out, which is probably a, would be a fun sermon in and of itself. But her slave owners get mad at Paul because she was their source of income. You see, they were selling uh, fortunes to people. And so their source of income went away, so they got Paul into trouble, and they threw him and Silas and his intimidated, they threw him into prison. So this, this all happens within the course of a few days. 
It's a wild journey. And while uh, he's in prison, Paul and Silas, it says that they're, they're, they're praying, they're singing songs, they're worshiping God, they're full of joy. And as they're doing this, there's this earthquake and the, and the gates open up and the, the jailer wakes up in the middle of this commotion and he thinks all the prisoners have escaped and so he's going to fall on his sword to avoid dishonor. And then Paul says, no, no, don't do that, we're here. And so the jailer is like, why are you still here? And he wants to know who is this God that they would, that you serve, that, that you wouldn't free yourself when you had the chance. Also, that's probably a good sermon in and of itself too. And then so he and his whole family become, are baptized. Uh, and then shortly after that, they leave. And this is his church plant. I mean, we thought this was pretty good for a year into a church plant. Well, Paul's got us beat. He did this in like a, a week or two. And so uh, Paul planted this church and he has a special relationship with them. And this letter that he is writing that we're reading, you remember when we're reading this letter, we're just kind of reading one side of, of a communication. And he's writing this letter from prison. He, he's, he's likely in prison in, in Rome uh, when he's writing this letter. And the people of Philippi had just sent him a gift. Remember, they've been supporting his ministry. The church of Philippi is now roughly 10 years old. And Paul writes this letter as this extended thank you note for their gift and their partnership in the gospel. And, and as we study this book, I think it will give us a great encouragement and aspiration to the kind of church community we want St. Andrews to look like in 10 years. So with that, I, I invite you to stand and hear the word of the Lord read. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in the imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God, we give you thanks for your word which leads us, which guides us. We come before you dependent on your spirit's work in our hearts and in our lives. Encourage us, inspire us towards holiness, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You know, when I was growing up, like many boys, and I'm sure like many girls too, I had lots of posters on my wall. 
posters of what I dream to one day be. And one of these pictures was of the, the 1995 uh, Supersonics team. You know, I used to be, pretend to be different players on this team as I was playing basketball in my uh, backyard, and uh, or I guess it wasn't on the yard, it was on the cement part. They called it a driveway. In the back driveway, playing basketball, pretending to pull up last second for a shot in the driveway, and it gave me something to aspire towards. Uh, this might come as a shock to you, but I didn't actually make uh, the NBA uh, as a player. Um, I know it's, it's quite shocking, but as we consider this opening passage of Philippians, I think what we're going to find is a poster for us. A poster for us as a church to put on the walls of what kind of church we want to look like. What we want to be in, in 10 years. And I think we will, what we will find is profound vision of what our aim ought to be. You know, as Paul is writing to a church that he's planted and encouraged along the way and has helped to grow into a solid church, it gives us as a young church, something to look forward to. And the thing that Paul begins with as he's in this opening encouragement, this opening dialogue, the thing that he's really pointing out is, is, a, is a community that is centered around the gospel. Right? That the beginning of the church is actually a community that's centered around the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus that were found in him. And this morning, we're going to look at just three different characteristics that make up this kind of community. Three, three things that we ought to be striving for, uh, both in our own lives and our lives with, the, with each other as a young church. And the first is this. A gospel community is a humble community. A gospel community is a humble community. Look with me back here at verse 1. Uh, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. I know that these kind of greetings like this seem normal, that we kind of tend to read past them. I know I do. If this was part of my Bible reading plan right now, I probably wouldn't stop and just meditate on those few words at the beginning. I'd probably stop and meditate on something like in, in verse 6, a little juicier. Um, but what Paul is saying here is very different than the rest of his letters. Even in this uh, few words that he starts his letter off with, we learn that the, the first requirement to be in a community that's centered around the gospel is actually hum humility. We see this when Paul says that he and Timothy are servants of Christ Jesus. You know, if you flipped your Bible left to right, almost every letter that Paul writes, he says apostle, Paul an apostle. He's appealing to his authority as he's writing letters to these communities because usually he's telling them to stop doing something. So he's saying, listen, I'm speaking on behalf of God, so please stop doing the thing that you're doing. For instance, uh, in, in uh, Galatians, just a few verses in, in verse Galatians 1, uh, 6, Paul says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You know, many of Paul's letters are like that, calling the people back to the things of God. And so from the very beginning of Philippians, we learned there's something very different happening here. Paul is not identifying himself as apostle, although he still is very much one. He's, he's not appealing to authority that he has in Christ, but in their commonality as servants of Christ. Or literally, this word is slave to Christ. So this idea of humility is even brought further to the forefront as he continues to say here, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. 
Paul isn't just writing to the leaders of the church, is he? He's writing to everyone, anyone who finds themselves in Christ, everyone who's united to Christ, both the leaders and the regular people. I'm writing to all y'all, he's saying, because we're all one in Christ. From the least to the greatest, if the greatest are the least, this is his foundation for a community. So this community, this, this rooted community, this rooted in humility, uh, because of the unity that they have in Christ, to this community, Paul's first declarative words we see here in, in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one commentator points out that this, this grace and peace thing that, that Paul often says is like a, a gospel in, in the nutshell moment. Right? The gospel being the good news of the grace and peace that we have when we're found in Christ. Right? The grace of Christ, the fact that none of us have, have earned a place in this community. and None of us have, have worked hard enough to get this, but it's a gift of, from Christ. It's his grace to us. And, and peace, shalom, this great Old Testament theme that's woven from the beginning of the story to the end. This beautiful image of peace and rest, the end and aim of our, our faith. The gospel, the grace and peace of Christ is the thing that unites us all together. A church, right, the assembly of the ones who are united in Christ is by nature a humble community. Because we know, better than anyone else, or we ought to, that we're not here because we earned it or we did something. It is because of Christ and Christ alone. You know, a, the opposite, right, a proud community is one that's always seeking to one-up each other, trying to earn its place in the community. But here, in a gospel community, we have humility because we know that none of us did anything to earn the position we have. And so we can be accepted as we are, not because of what we do or what we don't do, but because of what Christ has accomplished and done. And this leads us to a place of joy, right? To a place of actual peace. To a church where people... Uh, actually serve each other, not just out of selfish ambition, but out of the common grace that we have in Christ. And so the first character trait that begins, the thread that begins to be pulled, which actually gets pulled even further as we get into chapter two of Philippians, we'll see this thing come out even more. But the first is that, a, a, is, is that of humility. That a community that's founded in the gospel of Christ, the people who are found together in Christ are gonna be a humble people. But there's more than just the trait of humility. The, the trait of humility is built off of here as we see the second thing. And the second thing we find about a gospel community is that a gospel community is a partnering community. A gospel community is a partnering community. Look with me here at verse 3 through 5. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the, at the day of Jesus Christ. This partnership that he has with these people, or it also could be translated as fellowship, this connection, this inness that he has with each other begins here in prayer. In praying for this community, it says that he remembers them. And it's not just any kind of remembrance, but he's remembering that he's remembering their partnership and their fellowship together in the gospel. It says he's remembering his first days with them. He's remembering the Acts 16 moment 
when they came and they first believed and they were baptized and now they've grown up into these adult Christians, into this adult mature church, how they've faithfully shown this by supporting his ministry. You know, Paul may be the, the face of the operation, but his work is only possible because of the support of churches like Philippi. And he actually doubles down on this idea here in verse 7. When he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you, it is right for me to have these affections about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Right? He has this profound love for them, this partnership with them because of the gospel, both even in his imprisonment and his defense of the gospel are, are signs of their partnering. He's saying, listen, even when I'm in prison, you're a partner, you're with me there because we are one in Christ. Even when I'm proclaiming the gospel and people come and believe you are there, that fruit is your fruit. In a gospel community, your success is my success. My success is your success. Your troubles are my troubles. My troubles are your troubles. This is the kind of community that he is building, that he has experienced in Philippi. So often I think we hide either side of that scenario, don't we? Maybe things are... Maybe something exciting happened, but we're too nervous because we don't want to appear like we're, we're boasting. Kind of the false humility. Or, or maybe we're, we're embarrassed about our struggles, and so we hide them. But in a community that's rooted in the gospel, and a community that's growing in the gospel, the grace of Christ, we aren't measured by wins and losses. Our effectiveness is not up to us. Our value is not found in our successes, but only in, in Christ. Imagine the freedom we could have as a community, if we could just believe this amazing truth and actually live it out in our lives. To not be trying to one-up each other, to not be worried about the, the neighbor next to me trying to one-up me, but just serving each other. I think one of the reasons why this is so hard for us to get in our minds is because everything in our world is almost valued by external things. It's like, what can you do for me? And it's not just what can you do for me, but what can you do for me tomorrow, and then the day after that, and the day after that, it's exhausting but not in the gospel community. We share and we partner with each other in all of life. And the thing that I think helps us towards this aim is back here in verse six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are a work in progress. So we will make mistakes. We will sin against each other. We already have. But this isn't the end, right? St. Andrews will one day end up like the church at Philippi, which doesn't exist anymore. Hopefully not for a long time, but it will happen. But our community is not just a now community. It's a forever one. Christ finishes the work that he begins. And when we are in Christ, we are in his victory. As sure as he has finished his work, so his work will be finished in us. The beautiful vision of the end is the thing that actually empowers us in the now partnering together towards this common goal, the common goal of growing in Christ until he returns. And this beautiful vision that we have is not just an idea, right? The, the poster hanging in my wall of basketball players wasn't just an idea, but it was actually based on real people doing real things. And this is the gospel. The gospel is practical. It, it is lived out. It isn't just this theory it's not just this idea of the end, but it's living until we get there, which is the, the third aspect that we find here, is that a gospel community 
is a living community. A gospel community is a living community. Look with me here at verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. You know, first off, if you're ever struggling to know what to pray for somebody, this is a great spot to turn. Philippians 1, 9, and 10. Pray this prayer for your neighbor. Pray this prayer for your spouse. Pray it for me. Uh, it's a great prayer to pray. Uh, but one of the things that this prayer is focused on is it's focused around living out the gospel truths in our lives. And what does that look like? You know, we've kind of talked generally about this thing, and, and, uh, and this will actually be flushed out in more detail as we go through Philippians. But this partnering, this humility is, is possible as these attributes grow in us. And the first thing that grows in us that allows us to live out the gospel is love. Abound, uh, that your love may abound more and more. Now, when you think about the, the love of God, we talk about it often as being this steadfast thing, this limitless thing, this stable, this never changing or moving or reducing thing. And if we are called to have our love abound more and more, if we're called to actually love like God loves, then this means that we're never going to come to the end of our needing to grow in love, are we? Right? Even if you live to be 110 years old, this prayer will be for you that your love will continue to abound more and more. And how does it abound more and more when it's coupled with knowledge and discernment, which at first this can kind of seem like a bit of a strange pairing. It's often not what we think about when we think about love. But as the great uh, DC Talk once saying, love is a verb. Uh, or as 1 John 3.18, if you want some biblical truth to add to that, uh, 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And this deed and truth, this abounding in love, this living out love, and this happens through knowledge and discernment. Because through knowledge and discernment, we get to sift through what is good and what is bad, which leads to our living. What Paul is saying is that for our love to abound more and more, you need to be formed and informed by the true knowledge that is God. It's not just mere sentimentality. It's as we learn the truths of the gospel, the righteousness that comes through Christ here. The more we get that, the more our love will be lived out. It's, you know, as Tim Keller once said, as I've probably quoted before, that the, the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the faith, it's the A to Z of the faith, which is a little cheesy, but it's true. It's the fact that we never outgrow it. It's not just the thing that gets you in, it's the thing that keeps you in, that keeps growing inside of you. And we practice it in our living. And the reason for this abounding love we find here in verse 10, so that... You may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Right? To approve what is excellent is to discern it. Excellence here is talking about lasting things. You know, we think about this building. It's, it's, there's an excellence to it because it's a lasting thing. Let your love abound more and more so that you can discern the things that actually matter in life. To test them out. And so the gospel community isn't just a theoretical community. It's a lived out one. It's a practiced one together. And we do this testing and this sifting process so we, can, we are found acting out in love when Christ returns. Practicing our love, living out the gospel happens together in community. It's anyone can be loving if they're by themselves in their own room, right? It's when you're with other people that it's challenging to be humble. <laughs> It's when you're with other people in the room that it's challenging to love people that are different. This has to be practiced. 
This has to be a daily prayer for us so that we might discern the things that matter. And the model of this kind of community is nothing less than the lived out life of the source of the gospel, which is Christ. Right? Because Christ lived out his love by laying down his life for us, which is the greatest love, people who find themselves in Christ will be like him in this, laying down our lives for each other. It has to make a difference in how we live, how we speak to each other, how we forgive each other. It has to be lived out for it to actually be a, a good gospel community. And as we continue through Philippians, these broad themes will get more specific and practical for us. But all this together creates an underlying mood that we're also going to see throughout the book of Philippians of joy. Right? Humility, partnership, and lived life in the gospel creates a joyful people. A people not jockeying for power and position. A people more consumed with the needs of each other than the needs of ourselves. A people anxious to serve each other in love. I mean, it's, it's, it's quite the, the community picture, isn't it? It's a profound picture of what the church is called to be like. I mean, can you imagine being a part of a church that had this kind of affection and love for each other? Where you knew the person next to you was for you, and you actually believed it. Now, imagine having a pastor who had this kind of affection for you. You know, in a world where the people who are called to shepherd the flock end up feeding on the flock for their own aspirations and dreams, this kind of community can seem unrealistic. In a world where the church has often become a place of, to, to gain power and position rather than to serve humbly with love, this kind of community seems like a far-off dream, optimistic at best. And it would seem cheap for me to claim that this is who we are at, at St. Andrews, wouldn't it? Not that I don't want this to be who we are, but like a kid looking at NBA players on the wall, we aren't there yet. Right? We're not even a year old. We're just learning how to walk. We're just learning how to offend each other and work through conflict. We're just learning how to trust each other in spite of our sinning against each other. We're just learning how to live this out together. But what I can say with confidence is, is that this is what we want to be. And the only way that this happens for us is if we fix our eyes firmly on the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Christ, right? the humility of Christ, the fellowship of Christ, and the lived out love of Christ. So may we dwell on these truths. May we consider these truths. May we ask the question, where am I humble? Where am I not humble? Where do I partner with others well? Where do I struggle to partner with, with others well? Where do I live out and abound in love? And where do I struggle to abound in love? But may we be a people who live out the gospel in community, to, that we can humbly partner with each other and practice our faith until Christ returns or calls us home. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful and gracious Father in heaven, I pray that you would make us this kind of community, that you would form in us your gospel, that as we are, grow in our union with you, we would grow in our union with each other, and as we grow in our confidence of the gospel, we would grow in our confidence of this community that's founded on the gospel. May we never lose sight of these truths. May we grow up into them, and may you guide us, our footsteps, 
And Holy Spirit, I pray that where we are lacking, you will convict us of our sin, that you lead us to repent to each other. And in that, we get to practice your grace as we forgive one another. Make us this community like only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.